May God bless the reading of his word. Good morning. I want to welcome you this morning. If you are a guest with us today, we're especially glad that you're here, although we're always glad to have anyone that uh, is here with us with us. Uh, I want to take just a moment this morning and uh, let you all know, if you didn't, uh, Jim Keough, who is here with us this morning, celebrated his 102nd birthday this week. Right? Yeah. We're not going to embarrass him and have him stand up, but make, make it a point to find Jim today and wish him a belated happy birthday, but uh, uh, 102 years, there's a lot of wisdom there that I think we could glean from, and so I encourage you to get to know Jim a little bit if you can. Uh, we are starting a new series. We just said goodbye to Moses and the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, we spent most of the summer looking at uh, uh, the life of Moses and his connection with the Israelite people and the teaching in the book of Deuteronomy. Um, we're kind of going to make a big shift here in a lot of ways, jumping from mostly Old Testament to mostly New Testament for the next several weeks, although there's lots to be said about prayer uh, in the Old Testament as well. Um, as I was reflecting on the idea of prayer, I kind of came to the same conclusion that John did. We, we don't sing about or talk about prayer the way that I think maybe we should. I think it's a reflection on uh, maybe, maybe a lost part of the Christian faith in that prayer is not something that's at the forefront of our mind when we discuss being Christians, when we talk about our relationship with the Father. Um, I know, because I know myself well enough, that, that it's possible to get in your head about the intellectual things of Christianity, to open the Bible, and, and I'm not discouraging opening the Bible and studying it, mind you. This is something that I, I think is of utmost importance. But I think sometimes in our pursuit of knowledge, we neglect our relationship with the Father by not seeking him in prayer. When I think about prayer, one of the first things that come to mind is uh, the movie Fiddler on the Roof. I don't know if you've watched it before. If you've not, it's an older movie, and so if you're under a certain age, you've never seen it. Uh, if you're over a certain age, you've seen it, but it's been a couple decades since you've last watched it, most likely. Uh, I have a sick obsession with this movie, and I need to watch it on at least an annual basis. Uh, it's one of my favorites. I think that it's a, a movie that speaks to the, uh, the struggle that we have sometimes with tradition. Uh, it speaks to our ongoing dialogue with God. Uh, it encourages us to think about what our priorities are, how we interact with our families. I think it's a really great movie from a lot of perspectives. Uh, and, and the thing that has always struck me about it is that the vast majority of the movie is a dialogue between the main character, Tevya, and the audience, and a dialogue between Tevya and God. In fact, when we're introduced to Tevya, he's walking down the road and he's pulling a cart behind himself and he begins talking to you, but then he begins praying to God, asking why God has made so many poor people. You know, that it's no shame to be poor, but it's not a great honor either. And at first, it kind of sounds a little bit like Tevya's being irreverent. 
are you challenging where God put you in life? Why, why are you, you kind of so flippant with God? It seems like your relationship with him is maybe just a little too casual. But over the course of the entire movie, every time that Tevye encounters a difficulty or trial or struggle in life, a big question that he might have about how to approach some really challenging situations, he defaults to prayer, to a dialogue with the God that he believes in. And when I think about my own prayer life, you know, I, I pray on a daily basis, but a lot of my prayer is kind of routine and rote, and I have specific times during the day where I pray, and oftentimes those aren't the times where I am encountering a particular trial or struggle. Instead of, like, coming up against an issue, a problem that I'm facing right in the moment and saying, you know, my first response to be, should be to ask God, why is this happening? How do I respond to it? What do I do about this? You know, this trouble that I'm facing right now. Usually I wait until my prescribed time of prayer at some point later in the day when I've already tried to solve the problem myself to say, you know, God, I completely butchered this situation. I didn't handle it at all. Could you give me some wisdom here on how to handle it tomorrow? I've learned recently from, from someone that I've had the opportunity to listen to pray for me that oftentimes in the moment when you are experiencing trial and difficulty, what you need most is to stop and pray. I don't know how many of you have had the opportunity to really get to know Greg Strawn, but Greg, Greg has, through his own actions, taught me something really significant. I'd, I was talking with him about uh, a particular issue I had. This was almost a year ago now. And I was like, you know, this is something that's really bothering me. And, and Greg, instead of saying, I'll, I'll be praying about that, he said, well, let's pray about that. And right there in the moment, he placed his hand on my shoulder and he prayed for me. I thought, well, that was really refreshing. That was really kind and thoughtful of him. And then the next time that I shared with him a trial that I was facing, right then and there, instead of saying, I'll be praying about that, it was, let's pray about that. And Greg puts his hand on my shoulder and he prays right then and there. And again, that's really comforting. And then the next time that I encountered a problem, I went to Greg and I was like, hey, Greg, could you pray for me about this? And immediately, right then and there, he placed his hand on my shoulder. And I have come to understand that this is not unique to my relationship with Greg. If you go to Greg and you say, you know, I'm really having trouble with this right now, Greg will put his hand, he's in the back row right there, he'll put his hand on your shoulder and he'll pray with you right then and there. And all of a sudden I realized I've been doing this prayer for my brothers and sisters in Christ thing wrong for a really long time because oftentimes what happens is Don comes to me and says, hey Chris, you know I'm having a rough time with this. Could you just be praying about it? Or this thing that's going on with the church, could we pray about it? And I'm like, yeah, I'll do that. And then I walk away and I go and you know, 12.30 that day when my little reminder pops up on my phone to pray, I pray about it then. But not in the moment, right? Because that's not when I prescribed to pray for the day. I think it's good to have a habit of prayer I think it's better to have a life that demands prayer in the moment. And as I was reading through the New Testament and looking at all the different ways in which prayer is invoked, all the ways in which we are encouraged to pray, all the ways in which the apostles prayed, the writers of the New Testament encouraged the church to pray, the ways in which Jesus talks to his disciples about prayer, 
I came to the realization that the way that we think about prayer is a little bit broken and a little bit flawed. It's not that God doesn't hear our prayers. It's not that we shouldn't have times during the day where we specifically say, I'm going to pray at this time every day. It's that we don't pray as often and as unplanned and unscripted as we ought. We have our scripture reading that came this morning. Uh, I think it's, it's probably one of my favorite passages on prayer. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. When John writes these words, he's writing to a church that he's already acknowledged is struggling with a lot of things, that that life is a little difficult for them. But he's written to encourage them. He tells them multiple times. He's written them so that they might be encouraged, so that his joy might be complete. He's written to them so that they might have wisdom and understanding, so that they might not be lacking the things that it is that they need. And here, towards the end of his letter to his, his community... This, this body of believers who are invested deeply in their relationship with Christ, he tells them essentially that the way in which they might have confidence about their relationship with the Father is to ask things of him and to receive them. Now there's some danger in approaching passages like this that we take them out of context and we make them say some things that they don't say. I don't have to tell most of you that there are people out there that when they read this passage, their assumption is then, if you aren't wealthy, if you don't have stacks of money just packed away, it's because you haven't done a good job of asking God to give you more than you could possibly ever spend, right? There are people in this world that will abuse passages about praying to God and receiving to suggest to us that poverty or trial or tribulation in our lives is a sign of a lack of faith in God. I don't believe that's what John is teaching us, and I don't believe that that's what the greater canon of Scripture teaches us. But what I do believe is that many of us have unnecessary difficulty in facing situations that are hard in our lives with doubt and uncertainty and an overwhelming sense of anxiety. And I think the reason that that's the case is because we don't pray to God in a way that expresses our belief that he can handle situations for us. I think oftentimes we pray, God, give me the strength to handle this situation. God, allow me to have the wisdom to solve this problem. God, help me to be the right person for this situation. Now, I don't think it's wrong to ask God to give us strength, to give us wisdom, to allow us to become more like Jesus so we might more effectively engage difficult situations that we face in our lives. I don't think there's anything wrong with that but I do think it's important to recognize how Jesus teaches us to pray. When Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray, what he does is he begins by telling them, acknowledge the one you're praying to, and then ask 
Him for the things you need. Think through the prayer that Jesus teaches his disciples. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Notice it's not help me to forage for myself so that I might be able to feed my family. Now, maybe the way that God is going to give you your daily bread is that you're going to put your hand to the grindstone, but it's God that provides for you because there are a lot of people that have worked really hard that struggle to feed their families anyway. But those who pray to God for provision oftentimes find that provision in whatever way God is going to provide it. Maybe by the work of your hand, or maybe by the blessing of someone in the church who recognizes your need and provides for you. Maybe in a neighbor who brings you food that evening because they know things have been a little bit tight lately. God is the one who provides through various means. I think this is an essential reality that we find throughout the New Testament, is that the church oftentimes has great success in moments where they probably should have failed. They find just overwhelming response in moments where the the deliverer of the good news has been dragged out of the city and stoned by people who really didn't like what they heard. And suddenly, in that same town, the church is flourishing. Because sometimes I think we think, I think we think, there's a lot of thinking here going on, and I apologize for that. I'll try to do a little less of it moving forward. Sometimes we assume that the ways in which the church grows, the ways in which we succeed, the ways in which we have the things that God wants us to have is by coming up with a brilliant strategy, a plan that is foolproof, that that simply can't fall apart. But the church didn't really seem to do a whole lot of that in the first century. In fact, if you look at most of the book of Acts, every time Paul has a plan for himself, God prevents it. Paul wants to go to Asia. And God says, no. Literally, Paul says, the Spirit prevented me from going into Asia, which was my plan. I had no intention of being shipwrecked, but look at the success that I had as a result of being shipwrecked. Believe me, it was not my plan to end up in prison, but how wonderful it is that now there are believers in Caesar's household as a result of my imprisonment. See, we think that if we ask God to bless our wise strategies, to take the plans that we've made for ourselves and put his stamp of approval on it, that we've done the praying we're required to do. I've talked about this before, last year when we were doing our Holy Spirit series, and uh, I have a great difficulty in starting 
a staff meeting for the Newburgh Church of Christ with prayer. I try almost every single week. It's my intention to sit down and begin our staff meeting with prayer and invite the Spirit in to give us wisdom and guidance for us to have wisdom about how we'll approach the situations in the week moving forward. And oftentimes I get to the end of the meeting having had this big, long conversation with Kyle and Norma and now Heather. And and what ends up happening is that we get to the end of it and I realize we haven't even prayed yet. How could we have possibly made any plan that are worth anything if we haven't asked God to give us the wisdom in our planning to be the one who gives us our marching orders. When John tells the church, this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. I think what he's telling them is this. There, there are a lot of things that would be very good in your life. There are a lot of things that you want that, you know, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world for you to get them. But there are things that are according to the will of God that are so much better. Do we resign ourselves to mediocrity by not inviting God from the very beginning to be the one who makes the plans. I think we do. I think the church as a whole, not just the Newburgh Church of Christ, the church as a whole oftentimes struggles to understand that God is the one who is supposed to give us our marching orders, that no amount of higher education, no amount of, of uh, long-term planning and, and critical thinking is a replacement for the will of God. I have a few more verses I want to cover here with you this morning that I think will help us understand a little bit better the direction I'm trying to come from. And my clicker is not working, so I'm going to ask you to advance the slides for me. I didn't change the battery this week. Next slide. Oh, no, James 1, 5, 6. Sorry. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. All right. There's two parts here. Sometimes, when the Bible uses the word doubt, we're supposed to see it as something that we should avoid. There are other times where we're told that even in our doubts, we should continue to believe, that, that we struggle, we wrestle with our understanding, our wisdom, but that we should not, in fact, allow ourselves to succumb to doubt. And I think a lot of us begin our prayers doubtfully. I think that there is a hesitancy in us when we pray about God's willingness to act in incredible ways. It's not that we believe that God is less than good. It's not that we don't believe that God can do great things. It's certainly not that we haven't seen him do great things in the past. But oftentimes we encounter a situation and we know we can't do anything about it. And so we assume that maybe God just isn't going to do anything about it himself. And we pray, but we pray with a tremendous amount of doubt about God's willingness to act. Maybe I'm projecting. Maybe you don't. 
Maybe that's not the way it works for you. Maybe I'm a greater doubter than the rest. But I think oftentimes I'll pray really big things, not quite believing God will do those really big things. Not quite believing that God is willing to do them for me. See, and I think this is maybe a big, a big issue that we face in a lot of areas in our faith. I've talked before about this idea that we oftentimes have no trouble believing that God has great grace for other people, but maybe just not for me. I know enough about myself. I know enough of my own struggles, my own weakness, my own trials. You know, I, I'm certain God's got great grace for Michael Rooney. I'm not so sure he's got great grace for me because I know how bad I am. We do the same with prayer. You know, I believe that God answers the prayers of a righteous man, that they're powerful and effective, and so there's no question in my mind that God's going to answer Bill Killen's prayers. But am I really a righteous man? Are my prayers powerful and effective? I don't need a show of hands, but I want you to ask yourself this morning, am I the sort of person who thinks that God answers the prayers of other people but not my own prayers. Because I think James is telling us here that we don't receive because we doubt God's willingness to answer our prayers. Now again, it's not we don't receive stacks of cash because God knows that we doubt. I think it's we fail to receive comfort. We fail to receive wisdom. We fail to receive a charitable heart, maybe, because we doubt that God can change us. Moving forward here, uh, our next passage, if you don't mind advancing for me, Philippians 4, verse 4 through 7 says, Rejoice, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord, the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I, I have anxiety. I want to be completely clear with you this morning. I struggle to feel at peace about a lot of things in my life, and I don't think that it's because uh, I'm, I'm particularly anxious. Maybe I am. Again, maybe this is Chris's confessional this morning, right? There are situations in my life that I get really anxious about. I find myself lacking peace because of my uncertainty about, and this is the key, my ability to fix a problem. I wonder if maybe our deepest issue in having meaningful prayer lives is that we oftentimes think God will hear our prayer and then he expects us to be the solution to our own prayers. It doesn't mean that God hasn't equipped us to solve problems. I think God has equipped many of us to solve a lot of problems. But I think, I think, one of the things God desires for us to take out of our prayer lives is a lack of self-reliance for our own problems. 
read through Paul's letters to the church and see how often he encourages the body of Christ to care for and support one another. I don't think if Paul were writing a letter to the church this morning, church here in Newburgh, or maybe specifically, let's say, uh, a church to Lydia, or a, a letter to Lydia, he'd say, Lydia, I've heard about your many trials and struggles and tribulations. Pick yourself up by your bootstraps and take care of it, lady. Come on. I don't find a lot of language like that in the New Testament. In fact, most of the letters that Paul writes to individuals in the church, individuals in the church, are encouraging them to go and care for others. You be the tool in God's hands to be the solution to someone's problem. I think oftentimes we're praying for ourselves to have the answer to our own problems and to be the solution to our own problems. When maybe what we should be praying for is that we might be the tool in God's hands to help solve the problems of our brothers and sisters in Christ. I know most of my problems are self-created. Most of the issues and trials that I face in life I have been the, the, the root cause of. And it's not too difficult for us to understand that usually the problems we make for ourselves are too big for ourselves to get out of. We need outside intervention. Philippians here, this, this statement of do not be anxious about anything I'm not usually very anxious about problems other people have created. But I'm usually very anxious about the troubles I've caused myself. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Do we pray to God for peace for a, a resolution to our anxieties, for an assurance that, you know, whatever I've messed up, God can probably solve. And he's given me a great community of believers to help me work through my own problems. Not work through my own problems, work through my problems with me. I have one last verse I want to share with you this morning. This is maybe, maybe one that I, I think can be a launching point for a lot of us. And again, it's echoing something that we heard in our, uh, our spirit sermon series last year. Likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groaning too deep for words. I struggle with praying for the wrong things. I struggle with the ability to approach, approach God, not with the desire to be a solution to my own problems. I struggle to approach God in the belief that he can do things 
for me, not that he can do things, but that he will do things for me. Sometimes I struggle to approach God because I'm not even sure what I should talk to him about. My prescriptive prayer that I do on a regular basis follows a pretty routine pattern. I, I pray for whatever has already come to pass, and I ask for God to, you know, hey, can you deal with those things now that I have failed in the past to ask you to deal with them for me? My prescriptive prayer is often a little bit of thanksgiving. Thank you for the things you have already done for me. But it's those times that like, so if I've got my, two, my 12.30 uh, reminder to pray, at like 1.45 in the afternoon, I'm feeling a little low, a little bit stressed, uh, things are kind of difficult for me, and I'm not really sure what the underlying root issue is, and the reason I don't go to pray to God is because I'm not really sure what the problem is, and so I don't bother to pray about it in the first place. I find myself in an emotional, spiritual funk, and I'm not really sure what's going on, and so instead of asking God, help me, I don't pray at all because I don't know what to ask for. And I think Paul is telling the Roman church, when you don't know what to pray, it's when prayer probably matters the most. In fact, because we don't even know what to ask God for, a prayer without the knowledge of what we're praying for is a great statement of faith about God's ability to handle the things we simply can't handle, including our inability to even articulate the problems of life. If you are like me, prayer is an ongoing struggle. Not that you don't want to pray, but you often don't know how and what about Again, you sit down at a meal, you know, thank you, Lord, for this food. Bless it to the nourishment of our bodies. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen, right? That's really easy prescriptive prayer. There's a specific situation and a context that I'm facing right now, and I'm good. I've said the words that I need to say. I've invoked it, and uh, moving forward, I don't have to worry about food poisoning, right? But what about that time at 2 o'clock in the morning where you're laying in bed and you are anxious and you are angry and you are nervous and you don't even really know what about. And you tell yourself, once I have this figured out, I'll ask God about it. I want to encourage you this morning with this thought. The writer uh, of the book, A Celebration of Discipline, Richard Foster, tells us that the reason we practice the spiritual disciplines is because when we most need them, if we've not practiced them, the musculature isn't there. I think practiced prayer is a good thing. I think that it helps us to build up the muscles that we need but I also think that oftentimes unpracticed prayer is something we neglect. That moment where you hear someone say, you know, I have this trouble in life, and we say, that's, that's really rough, I'll be praying about it for you, and not, you know, that's really rough, let's pray about it right now. 
how can you pray about a thing that you've just heard me say that I'm struggling with? I don't even know what to pray. I thought that the first time that Greg prayed with me, like right there in the moment, until I heard him pray, and it wasn't, here are all my answers to the question, here are all my solutions to the problem, but instead, God, be with my brother in the trial that he's facing right now. Give him wisdom, encouragement, and the measure of your spirit. There's no prescription in that prayer other than let God be the one to solve it. I don't have all the answers on prayer. But we're going to spend another five weeks looking, or four weeks looking at prayer uh, from different perspectives. As we go through uh, this series, we're going we're gonna to discuss uh, praying for the work of the church. We're going to talk about praying for our children, our families, our schools. We're going to talk about praying for our, our neighbors, our town, the people that are in charge and positions that maybe we do or don't like. We're going to talk about praying for our enemies. And I'm hoping that as we go through this series, you will dedicate yourself to prayer that you will challenge yourself to pray at times that you don't know what to pray for, to pray for things that you are anxious about, to pray for things that you know you can't possibly solve on your own, and ask God to be the solution to the problem. Don't ask God to make you the solution to the problem. Pray some prayers of resignation. I am not enough to fix this. I resign myself to your will. Give me peace that you will act in the ways that you and you alone can act. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we struggle sometimes to come to you with the things that are are causing us pain, suffering, difficulty, trial, and life. And we rack up huge amounts of anxiety and worry, doubt, shame, frustration, fear. And we struggle and we try to be the solution to our own problems and we think about pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps and we think about ways in which if we just made a different choice, Uh, Things would be different, and Father, instead of that, we want to be people who recognize that you and you alone can provide us peace, that you and you alone have the answers that we are searching for, that you and you alone can mobilize the church to provide peace for those who don't have peace. I pray that over the coming weeks you help us to rely on prayer to a greater extent that when we face trouble and trials of all kinds that our first answer is prayer. And even as we struggle to even know what to pray for, I pray that we yield ourselves to your spirit and we allow you, we allow you to provide us resolution for the things we can't even articulate. It's all this that we pray in Jesus' name. If you have need of the church this morning, we want to pray for you. Even if you don't know what it is you need, we want to pray for you.
If there are ways in which we can bless you, walk alongside you, encourage you in your walk with Christ, if you are needing support in your growth with him, uh, if you are lost and floundering and you feel, feel yourself full of anxiety, I believe God is the solution to those problems. And I'd be happy to pray with you that God would give you wisdom, that he would give you peace, that he would give you comfort. I'm going to be at the back of the auditorium. Uh, you're more than welcome to visit with me. We've got some elders here who would pray with you and some ladies as well who would be happy to visit with you. I'm going to ask you to stand as we sing.